0: Dot org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks
1: from kqed olivia ellen price here and you're tuned in to bay curious If you've been listening to the show for a few years now, you probably know that I love a good ghost story. While this podcast usually lives in the world of cold hard facts and data and proof and evidence, once a year, we like to slip into the unknown and bask in uncertainty. I love ghost stories because they challenge us to suspend disbelief, to not ask too many questions, to let the story take us. But what if you're someone who can't do that and the ghost story happens to you? How can you square the inexplicable against the reality that you know and trust and have built over a lifetime, brick by brick? That's what reporter John Brooks has been grappling with. Today on the show, we're gonna hear John's ghost story and ride shotgun as he tries to make sense of it all. We'll get to it right after this. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, committed to brewing things the right way since 1980 because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes.
2: Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED.
1: And a recent personal tragedy has prompted him to run this story from his past over and over again in his mind. And just a warning, this story does involve some intense discussion of death.
3: I have a ghost story. I mean a real one. It's something I've thought about for 27 years. And I still don't know what to make of it. Many people listening will write this off as ridiculous, inane, whatever. All I can say is, what happened definitely had an effect on me, and it had a profound effect on a friend of mine.
4: It changed everything for me,
3: permanently. That's my friend Mark. I knew him as a cynical New Yorker. Mathematically inclined, irreligious, unspiritual. I was a real
4: skeptic. Like, you know, I just questioned a lot. It was like, you, you die and you just shut off like a machine. And after that, there's nothing to explain it other than there's something to it.
3: Mark won't talk about some of the specific things he saw that freaked him out. He's superstitious about it and thinks it would be disrespectful to what he views as a genuine supernatural event. I had to negotiate with Mark to even use what you will hear from him. When I asked him if he was glad or not that this thing had happened... He went dead silent for longer than I've ever heard him be quiet. And uh, are you glad you had this experience? Finally, he said, I've got mixed feelings. I'm going to tell you most of the story because I was there. In 1995, Mark and his girlfriend, I'll call her Kim are visiting me in my small apartment in San Francisco near Haight Street. Mark and Kim are all excited because Mark has just proposed and they're now engaged. So there's a lot of high spirits in the room, some drinking, and I suggest we play with this Ouija board I had picked up at a garage sale. The Ouija board, as you probably know, is thought by some people to put you in touch with spirits. Dead people during a kind of seance the board has letters on it and it comes with a heart-shaped piece of plastic with a translucent window in the middle that's called a planchette two people lightly touch the planchette and spirits are supposed to move it so that it shows letters through the window and spells out messages I had been wanting to try this Ouija board but most of my friends thought it was stupid the board at the time was made by Parker Brothers, which also made the games Monopoly and Clue. So it was hard to take it seriously as a connection to the realm of the dead. Nevertheless, I like spooky things. I didn't necessarily believe them, but who knows? Mark and Kim thought it would be fun as well. As we start, Kim and I are facing each other across the board, and we both have our eyes closed. Mark is on the couch watching, and one of us, I don't remember who, starts calling out to any spirits in the vicinity. Hello? Anybody out there? That kind of thing. At some point, I do feel the planchette start to move under my fingers. I'm not aware I'm applying pressure on it. It just feels like my fingers really know where they want to go. And while this is happening, Mark starts to talk. The planchette, I can feel it moving, stopping, moving, stopping. And Mark is saying things in response. Uh huh. Okay, got it. It's like he's on the phone and I can only hear his side of the conversation. Eventually, we stop. I open my eyes and there is Mark in tears. I mean, he is shaken. He collapses into Kim's arms, and he says, tearfully, I think I just talked to a dead relative. Remember, our eyes have been closed. Only Mark saw what was going on. Here's what he said happened. In 27 years, he has never wavered from this account. When Kim's and my fingers were darting all around the board, we spelled out, M-O-I-S-H-E, moisha which is the Yiddish name Mark was called at his bar mitzvah. He says we spelled it out three times in a row. So he responded, what do you want to tell me? Then we spelled out, again three times, W-E-D-R-E-B-B-E, Wed Rebbe. Rebbe is rabbi in Yiddish. Mark interpreted that as an instruction to use a rabbi for his upcoming wedding. Then, whatever it was, spoke to him about his brother, saying, letter for letter, watch over him always. And then it spelled out, say hello to Raymond. Raymond is Mark's father. That's when Mark started to freak. He tried to end the session by saying, okay, goodbye, to which it spelled out, W-H-Y. And he said, and I'll, I'll never forget hearing this, because I'm scared. And to that, it spelled out the word friend. So he asked, who is this? And it spelled out R-A-C-H-E-L, Rachel. Rachel was Mark's great-grandmother. Mark hasn't gone near a Ouija board since.
4: I have a fear of Ouija boards because I believe that they do what they're expected to do.
3: I'm sure this sounds highly dubious, to say the least. It's somewhat embarrassing for me to talk about. But the fact is, you couldn't be in that room and not feel a sense of eerie wonder. When I think about it even now, I feel the fabric of my reality start to unravel.
1: Exactly. I mean John Mack, a psychiatrist from Harvard, he called this ontological shock, where basically something that can't happen does happen.
3: That's Leslie Kane. She's a journalist who brought the story about navy pilots in 2015 witnessing UFOs doing seemingly impossible things to the pages of the New York Times. She also wrote a book and a Netflix series called Surviving Death about what she says is evidence for an afterlife.
1: The other thing that happens often is that in the moment, you're in the middle of that experience and it's like, you're in that experience. And then afterwards is when you start to doubt and question it.
3: True. As a participant, I have always found Mark's account mesmerizing. And yet, as much as I want to take his experience at face value, I can't. I spent five years as a KQED science editor grilling reporters on their interpretation of research data. I know that evidentially the Ouija board story is pretty thin. If a reporter came to me and said they wanted to write this up as proof of something, I'd ask them for the video and a signed release form from the ghost.
0: So here we're kind of faced with a, like a a what's more likely question. I call it Hume's challenge, you know, what's more likely uh, the miracle happened or the, person misremembered or exaggerated what they think happened. When you have a paranormal story like this,
3: and you're a journalist, who are you going to call? A ghostbuster like Michael Shermer, the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, which often debunks claims of the paranormal.
0: You know, the normal explanation for the Ouija board, the idiomoto response, is you can see where you're pushing it, even though, though you're not consciously doing it. You can swear up and down, you're not intentionally moving anything, but subconsciously you may be. The idiomotor
3: response is a well-known phenomena. It would say Kim and I were unconsciously moving the planchette to specific letters selected by our subconscious. But here's the thing. Researchers have found the idiomotor response only produces coherent Ouija board messages when participants can see the board. Mark is the only eyewitness to this event, and he is so clear about it. Part of what gives me 100% of confidence,
4: is there was no peeking. Your head, you weren't even facing forward. You were facing the ceiling the whole time. Your eyes were shut tight. I was monitoring you guys as much as I was looking at the board. It spoke to me silently.
3: Okay. If the idiomotor response was not responsible for messages like, watch over him always and
0: say hello to Raymond, What about this? How far away was he from the two of you sitting knee to knee? You know, you'd you'd have to be pretty close to be sure you were on the letter A and not the letter B, say, for example, or if you're in between those. No,
4: because I was actually keeping up with the letters. It was fluidly writing. It wasn't floating. It wasn't near the W and the A. It was like swoosh, 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 like air hockey.
3: Mark believed so strongly in what he saw, he named his daughter Rachel because of it. When he would get into arguments with his brother, his wife would say, remember, watch over him always. I mean, it's movement, and what I saw, it was magical. You can buy a Ouija board at a toy store for around 15 bucks, But despite being marketed as a game for children these days... Its pedigree is spookier than you might think. As I learned from Brandon Hodge, he's an expert and lecturer on the history of spirit communication devices.
0: It's hard to really overstate how incredibly popular and how big of a fad these devices sort of in turn were. It's It's a massive, massive cultural phenomenon. He
3: took me through the evolution of these tools for talking with the dead, created during the spiritualism movement that obsessed Americans from the 1840s to the 1920s. Seances with mediums, automatic writing planchettes, and these so-called talking boards like Ouija, invented in 1890, they were all the rage. Eventually though people lost interest. In the 1920s, the legendary escape artist Harry Houdini exposed the psychics and mediums who claimed they could communicate with the dead as frauds.
0: Many of them tended to fall on the con artist side of things. It's not a good look when you have a religion that's largely based on taking advantage of people and then getting caught by the authorities and heralded and sort of pilloried and drugged through the headlines. Just like Michael Shermer of Skeptic Magazine...
3: Hodge does not believe there's anything paranormal going on with the Ouija board. He thinks it's all the idiomotor response interacting with the subconscious. Okay,
0: but what about Mark's testimony? Eyes
3: shut. Yiddish words.
0: Say hello to Raymond. So that account is, is just rings so familiar to so many of the accounts that, that I have studied historically over the years. But I don't underestimate what the human mind and body is capable of and, and capable of doing when we're not even aware of those actions and those thoughts.
3: Hodge Fink's Mark Kim and I unconsciously collaborated to create this narrative of Mark's kindly Jewish great grandmother. That is a fascinating idea to think of Mark's Irish Catholic fiance without knowing it, urging him to use a rabbi for their wedding. But whenever I start thinking this way, Mark's certainty again rings in my ears. Oh, this
4: absolutely happened. There's, it's not even questionable. It's
3: 100%. For 27 years, I left the Ouija board story alone. Told it many times, but never by concluding, and I think we really did talk to a dead person. I couldn't attest to exactly what Mark saw. I did know that the memories of him crying, of my fingers going swish, 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 of say hello to Raymond, these were all extremely vivid. Too vivid. Whatever it was. I didn't want to mess with this thing. Until my mother died. My mother had Parkinson's, a known risk factor for choking. And that's what happened. She choked last year in front of me and the rest of my family in a restaurant. We tried the Heimlich. It didn't work. I watched her die. After she died, I felt like I had been subjugated by grief. In a lifetime of worrying about worst case scenarios, One, it finally occurred. I hadn't been able to help my mom. I felt like I had failed her and was going to have to live with that the rest of my life. At first, I grieved in all the usual ways, sobbing, ruminating, isolating. But something I didn't expect was this sudden obsession with my Ouija board story. I had thought about it from time to time over the years when contemplating what happens when people die, but now I so wanted that final exchange between my mom and me, that last desperate moment when I saw the panic in her eyes to not be our last. I wanted to apologize to her for not reacting quicker, for not being able to save her. I couldn't stop thinking about Mark and his great-grandmother and wondering, could I actually communicate with the dead? I decide to go back to that same apartment I lived in 27 years ago and try the Ouija board again. Maybe there's something about that place. Maybe Mark's great-grandmother Rachel is still hanging around. I rung up the current resident. Uh, I'm sorry to bother you again. I spoke to you the other day. This is John Brooks from KQED. I slipped that note under your door. (laughs) Did you read it? Hello? Okay, that's not happening. The guy does not seem interested in inviting strangers into his home during the pandemic to contact dead people. Go figure. Plan B? Do it at my place with my own hand-picked, let's discredit public radio team, of Ghost Hunters, including our science guy to keep things on the up and up.
5: So I'm Kevin Stark, and I'm the science editor at KQED and uh, a friend of John's, but I just don't think that we're going to conjure some communication with any of his past loved ones tonight.
1: Well, I'm Olivia Allen Price, and I am the editor on this story, uh, which is perhaps going to be the strangest story I will have edited I fall, I would say, generally skeptic, but definitely the door is not totally closed. I'm Julianne
4: and an old friend of John's. I'm open. I'm open. I'm more of a skeptic than I am a, a believer.
3: The weird thing is, all three of them have stories about incidents that appear to them to be paranormal. You start talking to people, it's not that uncommon. With everyone in my house, we have a beer, we discuss protocols for the evening. At the advice of Leslie Kane, the journalist who believes in life after death, I have looked at photos of my mom and asked her to spell out a particular word she would say a lot, which I have written down and sealed in an envelope.
5: Do you want it to happen because you want a Ouija board to work? Or do you want it to happen because of these experiences you've had recently, your mom passing away?
3: You know, my, my mom, it was, it was so horrible. I would just want to say, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I couldn't help you. You know, I still feel bad about it. I mean, really bad about it. Um, Do I think that's wishful thinking? At this point, I do. But on the the off chance that maybe it's possible? Kevin and I start on the board. The very same one from 27 years ago. Olivia and Julianne are observing. To eliminate the idiomotor effect, Kevin and I wear blindfolds ready you got your mask on john all right i can't see uh and i assume kevin you cannot see so just put your fingers lightly on the planchette and here i go i'm putting out a general call to any anyone who's out there who's passed away who wants to speak with us any spirits out there who want to talk to us Keep going. If, uh, if there's anyone who wants to talk to us, we're listening. And here we go again. I feel the planchette moving under my fingers. This goes on for a good 10 minutes as the planchette continues to feel like it's floating around. Could it be the word I asked my mom to repeat to me? I'm getting pretty excited. After our hands moved to several more positions around the board, I asked Julianne. All right, I guess at this point I'd say, is there anything? No. Nothing. It's just no. it's just like going, ran- like, yeah. places. We have not spelled anything coherent. And yet Kevin, our science editor, was still a little weirded yeah. out.
5: So I think when we were leading up to this, I was like, well, we're just going to sit there, you know, our hands just aren't going to move. But the strange thing is very quickly, there's some kind of sensation where it starts pulling you in one direction or another. And I remember at a couple moments thinking to myself, like, oh, this is me. Like, it's just like my uh, reflexes or something like that. And I, so I would think like, okay, now stop. But it wouldn't stop. Uh, it's It's bizarre.
1: As an observer out here, it looked like you both had very, very light... Fingers.
5: What did
3: you think when you saw it start to move?
5: I got excited.
3: Julianne, why do not you call out now? Yeah.
5: So is there anyone out there that wants to speak to us? We're open to hear from you. We're here.
3: Again, there goes the planchette. Moving up, down, all around.
4: Just give us a sign. Anything. You need a few vowels, that might help. You're not making sense.
3: After another 10 minutes or so, it's clear we're 0 for 2. It's time to bring out the big guns.
1: Spirits, come join us. It's a friendly room with people who have open minds and hearts. Use these friends to speak to us.
3: In a quest to lure in the non-living community, Olivia has gone full ASMR. ASMR. The dead should be lining up at the board to speak to her.
5: Okay.
1: That's a letter. We can work with that. Another letter.
3: But after another 10 minutes...
1: We're not getting much, guys.
3: After we'd been at it a good hour and have failed to contact any dead people, let alone my mom, there's nothing left to do but a post-mortem, so to speak. I feel like we gave it a fair shot you know, we did not get a result. Nothing even close to what, you know, Mark says he saw where there was a clear message with a, with a clear purpose. It doesn't mean that uh, the other uh, experience wasn't real. Um, we can only say that we were unable to come up with a result that was anything other than what the skeptics would say we would come up with, which is basically nothing. Listening to the tape that night, I can hear in our voices how much we wanted something to happen. We wanted to witness something transcendent, something remarkable, something, like Mark said, magical. Why did we fail? Well, maybe the departed didn't want to talk to our particular group. Maybe the house wasn't right. Or maybe no one contacted us because dead people can't, because they're dead. They're gone. Shut off like a f-ing machine. Maybe my mother will never know how sorry I am about her last moments because she can't know anything anymore. I envy my friend Mark's certainty about seeing messages from a dead relative that night 27 years ago. I would never begrudge it to him. I just wish I'd seen it too. It seems clear I am going to have to come to terms with my mom's death without her help. I wish I could have done something to save her life, but I can't make that moment more important than everything that came before. I once read something by the author Umberto Eco about the futility of mourning a happy time as something lost and not celebrating it as something once possessed. Mom, if you can hear me, And even if you can't, I love you. That is not paranormal. That's as real as it gets.
5: Don't forget to say.
4: Okay.
1: We are in the final days before ballots are due in the November election. If you need a quick study on any of those confusing ballot propositions, be sure to check out our Prop Fest series. Find episodes in the Bay Curious podcast feed or at kqed.org slash PropFest. We've also got resources for other races and measures at kqed.org slash guide. We'll put all those links I just mentioned in our show notes. This episode was made by the teams at Bay Curious and the California Report magazine. That's Katrina Schwartz, Amanda Font, Victoria Malone, Susie Racho, Sasha Coca, Brendan Willard, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Bay Curious's social intern is Darren Tu. This show is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Have a nice week.
2: Okay, our question for the month is: The world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from nineteen sixty-six to two thousand six in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hi there, I am Randa Difdataf from
1: Throughline. If you are listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained.